Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 153. We're recording on Thursday, April 14th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here with Jeff O'Neill. We are reunited, and it feels so good. And we're coming to you from bookriot.com. <clears throat> Someday we'll have uh, podcast karaoke. <laughs> that we can only hear the music and we're singing. That wouldn't be embarrassing at all. Actually, Not that might all. be my nightmare. Now, you know, that other <laughs> came out of my mouth. I mean, we did staff karaoke after Book Riot Live, but one of us was conspicuously absent. Yeah, one of us ran out of there like the building was on fire. Uh, Only one of us has any dignity left, and it's not me. Well, I don't know. It's one of those things. It, you, you can, at some point, you reach the other point where you're so shameless that it's really just it's really like the light of self-confidence shining from within <laughs> right? uh, uh, sure let's go with that. that's what i'm going with whereas yeah. i am just you know a turtle of a man with a hard exterior <laughs> and nothing on the inside to protect me uh, well it's okay that's why we also let amanda hang around in the clubhouse that's right because she and i did polish up our new megan trainer my name is no performance oh, yesterday so we are ready for bea is there, are you gonna do this is this a bea maybe? thing maybe i don't know we have a repertoire now yeah. so we've we're just gonna keep it in our back pocket for when we need that yes yeah, and we're rebecca and i and amanda are going to bea for work stuff if any of you are out there working books are gonna be a bea or just are going to be a for the reader's day or whatever give a shout and we'll yeah find let you. us know we'll probably bring something with us to give away we usually have something i don't know we have stickers or anything i don't even uh, know what we have i think we might have a million temporary tattoos oh we do we do from like five thousand years, years ago years ago Clint, yeah, like, uh, let's so... get ten thousand of these for be here like um okay <laughs> so now we have a sort of a bomb shelter supply you know in our own defense that was really early in book riot and we weren't as good at smelling our own bad ideas yet yeah, well, also, it's not a lot of money to get 10,000 <laughs> right. tattoos, as it turns We're out. We're going to use them for something someday. Uh, speaking of, speaking, speaking of, of, yeah, listeners out there, yeah, we're yeah. going to give a special shout out to Maximed Ibrahim. I'm sorry, Max, if I butchered your name, but he just, well, he has been listening and he's been sort of charting and every once in a while we'll get a comment uh, on Twitter or mentioned on Twitter. He's gone back and listened to the entire Book Riot podcast back catalog. And he just started in December. Yeah, and so in, in uh, three and a half months, he's gone through 150 episodes, um, <laughs> which is a heck of an accomplishment. You know, it it's a podcast really super marathon. Mm -hmm. uh, but and we appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, that is so much time out. to spend with the two of us. Yeah, that is. I, you know, I can barely stand myself for more than an hour at a time, um, which is why this thing usually ends up That's at about an hour. why we read books, Jeff. I got to go into a hyperbaric chamber after this and recover. Um, but Max, of a man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for <laughs> listening to the show and all of you guys for listening to the show. Um, let's before we get get to the the heart of the show. It's our first sponsor, Audible's back. Uh, you know. What else to say? There's something else. You know what? I was going to say, there's nothing else to say about Audible, but you know, there is something new to say about Audible. Have you, have you seen this? I don't Audible know. is getting into a whole bunch of like short form audio stuff. Yes, I have um, seen that. It's so interesting. News, their own podcasts, 
um, broadcast stuff, whole bunch of other things that you might want to check out. So that is new, and it's if you if you're a, if you're an Audible member, you get to you know listen for free. Um, it's a create it's a curated collection of premium short form content, including ad free podcasts, <clears throat> uh, news, comedy, exclusive shows, and more. Audible members get unlimited access to channels part of their membership, no extra charge. Um, it's only on the Audible app for iOS, iOS and Android right now, so really on your phone, I guess, or a tablet of some kind. Um, as many channels as you like, you can follow stuff, you know, basically subscribe if there's something new show up there. Probably, I guess I haven't used it myself. I've been meaning to check it out. I will before we have the next Audible sponsor spot for us. But I think it's kind of like a podcatcher, like if you use uh, Overcast or something like this on the phone when there's a new episode or installment or whatever verbiage they're using, it shows up there. So you can check that out. Um, also, but you know, their the, the bread and butter is 180,000 plus audiobooks, premium quality audiobooks, the, the world's largest supplier of audiobooks, any category you're looking for. Basically, if there's an audio version of a book out there available to buy, Audible has it. Um, go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookwrite to start your free trial. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the highlights for me these days really are the great listen guarantee and I get to keep the audiobooks forever. I mean, that, that's really, besides the selection, like that's sort of the, the sine qua non of Audible is like, that, that's the, the, the big thing. But in terms of feature set, in addition to the catalog, is I get to, you know, if I, if I ever cancel my Audible membership, which I don't see that happening anytime soon, but if I do, or if I get off audiobooks for a while and I want to pause it, and I want to go back and listen to something, I, those are my files. I'm not, you know, I'm not renting them. I still use the Audible app to u- to use them, but I don't need to have an active membership to listen to them. So Michelle, as I said before, she'll just listen to the Night Circus when she's stressed out or sick or she's shopping and is like wants something to listen to. So even if in, you know, she's not on the membership anymore, she can still have access to the file because we paid for it. It's there. And the other thing is the great listen guarantee. You don't like the narrator, something about the book rubs you the wrong way. You didn't get you're not getting what you thought you were getting. It's as simple as a few clicks to get a return, get your credit back, and use it on something else. They want you to be happy. They want you to keep using the the, the service so you get your, your free Great Listen guarantee there. Um, so that's audible.com. Thank you so much for them to sponsoring the show. All right. On to the news. On to the news. On to the news. Where do you want to start? You know, man, there's interesting stuff yeah, this there week. Is, We've got kind of like clumps of it. Mm-hmm. So let's do Band and Challenge books. Okay. So this week, the ALA, the American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom, uh, released their report of the top 10 most frequently challenged books of 2015. And that challenged word is important because we don't actually really have banned books in the Mm -hmm. United States. Things get removed from certain libraries or certain collections, but uh, not, you know, banned by law. So challenged is the preferred word. Here are the top 10. Looking for Alaska by John Green. Fifty Shades of Grey, I Am Jazz by Jessica Herthel and Jazz Jennings, Beyond Magenta, Transgender Teens Speak Out by Susan Cucklin, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, The Holy Bible, Fun Home by Allison Bechdel, Habibi by Craig Thompson, Nazreen's Secret School, A True Story from Afghanistan by Jeanette Winter, and Two Boys Kissing by David Levithan. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I guess... Sadly or not, some of these aren't surprises, but a couple of them are surprises. Are they? Well, Looking for Alaska, the number one by John Green. Is that just popularity? Yeah, I don't it, know. Is that just I because guess? there's a bunch of people reading it and it's in, you know, 
teenagers are reading it, and so their parents are finding out about it and saying, hey. Yeah, I guess that would be... It's uh, had the John Green is the most visible, I would think. I mean, John Green and E.L. James right. are the most visible of these authors, but John Green is marketed directly to the mm-hmm. children. I am jazz. Um, I'm not really surprised by because yeah. it, it's it also has a religious element. So I can see the people seeing the the sex stuff getting mixed up with uh, you know God. They don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we get we get several things about. Um, LBGTQ folks here. Yeah, there's no surprise. Uh, right, sadly. the Bible is also always on yep. the list, which is religious int- viewpoint, and that usually comes from the other side. You know, this right. is the one, the other side. The, the reasons: colon religious viewpoint. Yeah, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun home, Alison <laughs> Martell, LBGTQ, um, and two boys kissing. Mm-hmm. David David Levithan. Yeah, there's uh, one of our contributors. Magenta. Oh yeah. So yeah, Beyond Magenta is. is it has like all the complaints. Yeah, yeah, it has. It definitely has one of the. It has like the, uh, the Pulp Fiction warning. You know, like in right. front of a movie where just like everything mm-hmm. that can give right. something an R rating. Anti-family, was on. offensive language, homosexuality, sex education, political viewpoint, religious viewpoint, unsuited for age groups, and other. In this case, it was the person wants to remove the collection in order remove it from the collection <laughs> in order to ward off complaints. Some librarians just like enough of people talking. Yeah, I just get it. I give up. Uh, one up. of our contributors, Leela Roy, wrote a piece on Book Riot this week that we'll link to in the show notes where she breaks down uh, some of the numbers related to these challenges. And so seven of these were complained um, about being unsuited for the age group, five of the 10 for a religious viewpoint, three for homosexuality, three for offensive language, three for sexually explicit, two for sex education. And we don't know like anything about that, just like I don't want any sex the, education. The existence of sex education yeah. in the book. Uh, two for violence, one for anti-family, whatever the hell that means. Uh, one for inaccurate, one for nudity, which like you can't Habibi. see. Oh, right, well, that's right, a right. graphic novel. Right, and one for political Putting the graphic and graphic. viewpoint. So she, uh, Leela breaks those down a little bit further. Um, both of the books that are challenged for providing sex education are about transgender youth. Um, that's an interesting thing to know. Um, Magenta is the one that's titled Anti-Family. Um, and in Leela's reading of it, the only way to call that anti-family is if we are um, opposed to acknowledging the fact that not all families are the same. Um, Fifty Shades of Grey and The Curious Incident in the, of the Dog in the Nighttime are written and published for the adult market, but both were challenged for being unsuited for age group. Um, that's code for I, sex, right? Uh, like, or, what, what is, what else? I mean, that feels like just co- like... I think it's really code for anything that people are like, oh, but the kids are too young to talk about this. Like the murders? The, right. There are something, I don't know. Even though there's only one complaint about violence. Um, that's, you know, that's the American way. Don't complain uh-huh, about violence, right. but you show boobs right. and you're out. <laughs> uh, and so I would, I don't know. I haven't read the specific complaints about Fifty Shades of Grey and the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. So it could be that those were like on a high school shelf and people were like, these are unsuitable for high school students, but they're marketed for adults, which might be, you know, a fair assessment, especially in the case of Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, and then Fifty Shades of Grey was also the recipient of the, quote, concerns that a group of teenagers will want to try it complaint. <laughs> also the poorly written. That was one right. of the, it's just, it's just bad. That, which I've never seen that before. Uh, just, you know what? 
the Strunken White have it's, an objection here. It's convenient how only the books that people want to ban get complained about being poorly written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. So there's the list. Um, mm-hmm. Weird. The reasons for Fun Home is violence and other. Like, you're, right, you're, not, you're is, telling me it's not because of lesbian, that you're really, that you're not going to even just fess up to it. Yeah, and there is um, nudity and there's our lesbian sex scenes to yeah. some extent on the page in fun home too but oh violence and other and that's graphic images <laughs> which for a graphic novel right. is kind of right. I mean whatever uh, so you know so there's the list not super happy about it but i think it's you know for it's for it's what it is it's a pretty good snapshot of what people challenge books for and a pretty interesting overall sort of heartbeat of what people are afraid of yeah right yeah Right. So there's that list. You can check it out. And uh, Lila's piece, too, is a really interesting way of uh, breaking that down. Um, Also, the other big news, really, this week, the Man Booker shortlist came Mm -hmm. out. Um, Six books for the – here's the the list is A General Theory of Oblivion um, by Jose Eduardo Agualuza. That is a – Literary fiction title, if ever I ever Oh, won. yeah. <laughs> Seriously. That's like in the, the the Mad Lib meme generator. Story of the Lost Child by um, Ferrante. The Vegetarian uh, by Han Kang. Uh, Strangers in My Mind by Orhan Pamuk. Is that how you say his last name? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. The Whole Life by Robert Seethaler from Austria. And The Four Books by Jan Lianke. Um, yeah. So a really international group. On yes, there. very much. No, no, of, no of the silly Americans on here, I don't think. But Australian, a Turk, um, South Korea, Italian, uh, Angola, and China. Interesting. So if you're looking, if you're looking for international books, Man Booker, the, the widest ranging of all the prizes that, that are for specific titles, the Nobel is just equally wide ranging, mm-hmm. at least in theory. Uh, for authors, but for titles, the Man Booker International Prize is, you know, the most. Oh, I'm sorry, but, you know, because you know why this is the international prize, not the Man Booker, which is the Commonwealth, which ah, includes yes. you know, international. <laughs> I forget that there's a this distinction between there. I wasn't putting that together, but this is self-consciously international um, and non-anglophone. So, for those of you who like to read in translation or are looking to read more in translation, or I guess it's presumably some of you could read in the original language here. Uh, a really good race. I, I'm always interested in this list because very rarely do I know more than two of the authors. In this case, I only had heard of two before, Ferrante and Pamuk. Um, all, all the rest are new names to me. The Vegetarian has gotten some amazing reviews. Yes, it has. It has. And I think it's now out in paperback in the U.S. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, yeah. So you, that one's you can pick up, I know, is yeah. available know- right now. Uh, Liberty loved that one. She talked yeah. about it on all the books, really liked it a lot. Cool. So there's that list. Uh, go check it out. I have no opinions of any of those books. I haven't read any of those books. <laughs> have you started your summer Ferrante catch-up project <clears throat> Is it summer? Oh, well. Is it summer? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm in Virginia. Don't pressure me. <laughs> yeah. Your, your, eternal, your eternal right-wing summer over there. Um, okay. <laughs> Sweet tea and yeah. you know, red states. But Let's do this one real quick. Speaking of book prizes... I don't know what this is. Yeah, it's not this actually... Is, is this a joke? Like, what is it's, this? It's... I don't, I don't think it's a joke. Uh, it's... I don't think it's a joke. <laughs> so, people at the Complete Review 
are doing a literary prize of sorts called La Prise de la Page. And I have to revise la, my French. La Prise de la Page 112. That's how you say it, 112 <laughs> right. in French, right? It would right? be um, Saint, La Prise de la Page Saint Deuce. Saint mm. I'm not sure. Forgive me. I'm not that far in Duolingo yet. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so this is a way of judging books that begins with just looking at page 112 of them. Yes. Like the one page that's number 112. Uh, it's inspired by a line from a Woody Allen film called Hannah and Her Sisters, that in which a character says, don't forget the poem on page 112, it reminded me of you. So the French Literary Award, this, it asks its jury at first to just read page 112 of and the novel. And then go back and start. Right. right. And so there's this quote, right. So if page 112 is good, then you go back and start. And if it's not good, you don't have to keep reading. So for several decades, editors and writers have given exceptional care to the beginning of a book in order to impress the reader immediately, the prize explains. But what happens in the rest of the book? Alas, too often, nothing at all. So they came up with a theory. Page 112 is the point at which they believe the attention of an author and a publisher is most likely to have lapsed. Um, okay. Hmm. Everyone neglects page 112, they write. That's why we chose it. Our logic is simple. If a remarkable page... If a remarkable page 112 is rare, then it is allowed to hope that the novel in which it appears might also be remarkable from beginning to end. If a novel has a beautiful 112, the jury will read the rest of the book. Okay. It's, I mean, uh, a French literary prize inspired by a line from Woody Allen. Like, like, my eyes can't roll hard this enough. This feels so much like it's out of the Mad Lib generation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> though, though I have to say, there is something that, to the idea of the middle of a book, right? I mean, yes, I guess right. I, I guess that's why we did, we're talking about this at all, because it's not just sort of pure affectation. There's some element of, you know, what about the middle? What about the middle and the end? Because, you know, we all do this. We judge a book by its cover, but also by the first 50 pages. Like, what's the, what's the old, uh, it's not the half your age plus seven for this. That's a different thing. It's the, it's, <laughs> it's um, read as long under, as you're, you're old or something. It's, like, it's, if you're under the age of 50, oh. you read 50 pages. Well, this is the Nancy Pearl rule of yes, 50. Yes, yes. And then if you are over the age of 50, it's like 100 minus your age. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe is how that works. So, so you read less the older you get. So, if I'm yes. 73, I, I read 27 pages. Now, right. What's the, the logic because, behind that? Because the the older you get, the less time you have left to read books. Oh, because so you're going to die. Right. Oh, <laughs> eminent okay. Because of mortality. Eminent death is right. the logic. Sure. Eminent. So, yeah, right. So grim, creeping you, grim death. Okay. Right. Gotcha. The reaper approaches, yeah, and right. <laughs> you have less time to read books. So you have to give each book fewer pages before you're allowed to toss it and pick up something different that might have a better chance of delighting you is the pearl theory. Um, I, I do think there's something here. Like I've been to many, many writers conferences mm. and literary conferences where agents do a first pages critique session sure. where where you know writers have labored over their first page forever um and someone it's usually like an actor or somebody stands up and reads a first page that was submitted they don't say who wrote it or anything else about the book they read the first page and then the panel of agents give feedback and essentially say yes i would keep reading if i received this manuscript or no i would put it aside and here's what you could do to spruce it up and so there there is a ton 
ton of care given to openings of books, especially first pages, especially when books are in the like writing, querying agents pre-publication process mm -hmm. and people are thinking about what's going to happen eventually when a reader picks up this book in a bookstore and tries to you know, skim the first page and decide if they're going to stick with it. Um, I think there is something to make sure the middle doesn't drag, but I also think this- You know how you like, do that though? You read the book. <laughs> right. I think we figure. I think we have a solution to this. Maybe this whole, I don't know. Like, they, they like okay. Is it just a lark because of Woody Allen and Page One Twelve, or do yeah. they have reasons for their theory about Page One Twelve being the point at which a story well, that's where it kind of collapses. breaks down, right? Because they think, well, right. we think like, at Page One Twelve, that's the point in which their attention right. is waned. It also just so happened that we picked this because of a throwaway line in a Woody Allen. Wait, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> Conveniently, we have a theory about a thing for which there is no supporting evidence. <laughs> right. uh, but look over there. <laughs> I, th I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I feel like I maybe have written about it on the site, but um, one of my, my great professors, an undergraduate, James Crothers, he had us do this thing in teaching us close reading where we'd open the book to the middle, like, you know, the, the little middle, literal mm. middle of the book. So a 300-page book, you go to 150 because that's how math works. Um, and this is after you've read the book, but you go back to the middle and look at it kind of as exercise, see what's going on in the heart of this book, like the the the, the literal and figurative heart of this book as a way of seeing the rest. And that's it's, you know, it's it's just a technique. It's not supposed to be definitive, but it's a way of getting you to see the book from a different side. And I've done it a, a bunch of times, really. And it's, again, I think close reading is one of those things that if you just try it, you'll find interesting stuff. But it does seem particularly interesting to open to the middle. Now, 112 is usually just the first third of most literary novels, mm -hmm. which is, I presume, and, what we're dealing with here. Yeah, and this, like, the middle of most literary fiction, like, because most of most literary fiction is not about stuff happening. Not necessarily um, right. Yeah. And so, so also, I, I really wonder maybe what kind of books they're trying to get at. I decided to try this with a oh, random did book you? Okay, off my desk. So I have not looked yet. Uh, this uh, like was just the top of the books from stuff I opened from the mail recently. It's called The Veins of the Ocean by Patricia Engel. Mm -hmm. So I marked page 112. And I thought we would try it and just see. So the... Um, Oh, it has pretty deckled edges. Um, but okay, so here we go. Page 112 of The Veins of the Ocean. Okay. A baby will brighten things, Reina. Maybe it's your destiny. <laughs> F word destiny. I said, of course, I opened to a page with a word uh -huh. I can't say on the air. Right. So Fox destiny, I said. And he warned me not to tempt bad fortune by talking that way. Till he got locked up, Carlito was a church-going guy, first with Mommy, even when I refused to go with them, then with Isabella and her daughter. They'd sit side by side in one of the front It's pews. just a page-long non-sequitur to do it this way. The perfect little family. Don't you ever want to be a mom, Carlito asked me that day. <laughs> it just makes no sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Like, no. I was there for the first two lines. A baby will brighten things. <laughs> Maybe it's your destiny. Yeah. <laughs> destiny. Well, that's the th I mean, that's the, the other flip side, too, is the reason... you. The other 111 pages, you need that to understand what's going on in 112. Like, the reason you can start from basically a cold open of nothingness to the first sentence is that the author's trying to figure out how to get you into the book. Like, you're coming from the void into the right. world of the book, and it takes some doing. Whereas this, it, it presumes you have had that experience. And so, I, I don't know. It, it almost seems to me like if you could read 100, page 112 intelligibly, that's almost a indictment of the book because it's it stands alone right like it, it's a discrete unit of a verbiage that that's not what we really understand at least a novel to be about like so yes. i guess something like vignette things or like you know uh who do we like or, you know, like 
uh, Invisible Cities by Italo Calvino would hold up super great, right? Sure. Because they're meant to be um, consumed that way. Right, or like the B.J. Novak One More Thing essay Mm -hmm. collection. Like, tons of those were one page. That would have been fine. Right. But... Yeah, this is weird. I had to go back and check the date and make sure this wasn't published on April. I Fool's did the day. same thing. I did the same <laughs> thing, and it was not. The writer of uh, this piece is Allison Flood, and she says at the end, um, "I like this a lot. No more judging a book by its cover blurb and the first few pages in a bookshop. I'll be turning straight to page one twelve from now on to make my decision." Um, so I'm interested for listeners if you would grab the thing <laughs> yeah, that you're right. reading or the thing that you just finished and tell us if based on page. 112 alone, you would have kept going. You know, I don't know there's another... I mean, if you want to have a, a, a prize of some kind, let's just sort of step back a second, that wants to reward the middle, I guess. Like, how would you do it without reading the whole book? And I don't know there's a way... Right, and <laughs> like the middle by virtue of being the middle is that you need to have the information from the beginning and you don't yet have what the information of whatever happens at the end. Mm-hmm. Like. We talk a lot in publishing about like sort of middle of the trilogy syndrome, like yeah. the second book in a trilogy inevitably is the one that the most readers have the most problems with because they're like you're, you have to accomplish certain things in the middle of a story. Right. Um, and if you pick up in the middle, you're not going to do very well. And if you pick up at the end, you might actually just get like a good summary of what happened mm-hmm. or not. Who knows? But middles of stuff like that's the... That is where I think the hardest part of the work of the writer lives is right in the middle to keep things moving along. But I don't think you can tell enough. From right, because anyone who's ever tried a short page. story or fantasized about writing a novel usually have the beginning or and or the end. Right, right. Like the yeah, and the heart of this like page one twelve thing is really pick an arbitrary yes. thing that's not the thing on which you typically judge a book and look at that thing and see if it interests you. Mm-hmm. You know, why not like read the first paragraph from page 52 and the fourth paragraph from page 107 and then decide. And, and presumably you, can, you would disproportionately award books that have, or it would, it would, is there a thinking that the books that are super polished up to page 111 then peter out, and that the books that did a crappy job up to 111 somehow are better. At, like, yeah, what's I, the logic? Like that, that there's some there's some correlation between or, the good book and the crappy <laughs> beginning. It's sort of what the, right, the underlying like, think, logic of it. And it's interesting that they point out, like you know, everyone in publishing along the way of producing a book labors over the early part of the book to make it grab readers. And yeah. I believe that that is true. But if you're worried that quality falls off and you want to. Do, which I think is also false. Like there are books that fall apart after 50 pages, but I don't suspect it's because those first, first 50 pages just got the most love. Um, I, I think that's, I actually think that's possible. I just don't mm-hmm. know that because they fell apart that that means that ones that were bad, you know, that were <laughs> worse from the beginning are then they turn around in the middle. Like, I don't know. How many books have you ever read that you're like, you know, at 100, I really hated the first 100 pages, but once I got to page 112, things really picked up. Like, Yeah, I don't do that. If I hated the first 50 pages, I'm out. Yeah, so I, I'm not really sure. I mean, I guess there are some books that I'm, you know, without being a spoiler, like Fates and Furies, right? Oh, yeah. Where yeah. you need to see the whole board 
or at least more than halfway of the board to sort of see what's going on. Yeah. And there are, I think there are books that should come with some disclaimers like that, you know, like, yeah. the, oh, the, the opening of this is really tough to read, but hang in there until page 30 and then things start cooking. Well, or like we've like, said before about Morrison, like you kind of have to live in it for a little bit, like, right. or, or, or the experience of reading Shakespeare, going to Shakespeare, like you're not going to get the whole thing. Don't try to get the whole thing and you can come back and. Yeah. Right. Like all Toni Morrison should come with a sticker on the front. That's like, you're supposed to be confused. Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> if you get 50 pages in and you feel totally confident that you know what's going on, you're actually... I've actually the, wondered if that's kind of a disservice situation. too. Like, I wonder if some of the experience of Morrison too is like, you're not even, you're supposed to not know if you're supposed to not know. <laughs> like, does that make sense? Like, <laughs> it's almost a spoiler to say, yes, you're supposed to feel this way. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know. That's a different thing. Um, so anyway, like, I think the reason we like to talk about this particular prize, I think the like the specifics of this is sort of, you know, a lark. Um, but it does speak to this weird problem that most readers have experienced of like, you get to the middle and there's nothing there or it falls apart. And it's like, is there any way around that? And I'm afraid that there's not, it's like trying to solve rain. Like it, there's just no, there's yeah, no you solution do to just, this. Like if you get to the middle and there's nothing there, you either have to decide to jump ship mm -hmm. or finish reading in the hopes that like, it'll come back around. And I think that's also like where having the internet with mm. a, the vast ocean of consumer reviews is useful. A lot of social um, proof out there. Like if only there were websites where people <laughs> talked about books and you could go to them and find out if that uh, book gets better after the middle or not. Yeah. Right. Uh, so it's, it's, not like like there are, it's not like there are 50 million reviews on Goodreads or anything. Like right. That. Which, like, there are ways to get this information um, without just randomly selecting page 112. But it's like, this did seem to have be like a moment of whimsy. Yeah. Whether they well, I'm not, to be I'm not against or not. whimsy, but like. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not either. It's like an in publishing doesn't do whimsy no not that, very well very, not very well. well and so that's whether this was intentional whimsy or not it's very interesting it's, a, it's an interesting point there uh okay we better trundle on here um talk to me about the new york times book oh review. yeah okay so uh michael takens uh does very interesting interviews for poets and writers with people on the i guess you'd say establishment side of of publishing not necessarily authors, but po uh, I guess it's called reviewers and critics. It's the there you right. go. Um, and this one was with Pamela Paul, who is the um, editor in chief. I'm not sure, but she's in charge of the New York Times Book Review. I'm not sure what the yeah, actual title is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it says editor in chief here. Um, she has been since 2013, and it, there's a lot of this. This is sort of boilerplate stuff about being her book review or whatever. A couple of things I thought were particularly interesting. Um, did you read this already? You did. I did. Yeah. Okay, I read so it I can't do the quiz. Uh, so the first one I thought was interesting is how many full-time people work at the New York Times Book Review. I've wondered this before, and I had I really had no idea. I, I, I read the New York Times. Well, let's see. Do I read it? I look at it every week. I think it's fair to say, um, you know. But and there's a lot of different bylines. But I'm not sure how many. And a lot of them are contributing freelancers, one-offs, whatever. But there are 16 full-time people that make the New York Times Book Review happen. Does that seem like a lot or a little to you? You know, I've gone back and forth yeah. about this. <laughs> it's like, we have 12 full-time people yep. to make Book Riot, and we don't have to produce a physical product. Well, that's what I was wondering so, about. Like, do they just ship it off to the other dudes right, in, the, like, in the union print right. hall? Right. So is this like, are all 16 of the dedicated employees for right. the book review just people who produce the content? putting words into a file, right. Right, right. Are they just people who write the New York Times book review? They must or do layouts, or they do right. ad sales for the book review, too? I have no idea. So I'm interested in how that is. Mm -hmm. 
broken out. Because if it's if it's just people making content, if she has 16 full-time people to write stuff for the New York Times book review and edit it, plus all the freelancers, I don't think that's really small. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's 16 people to produce the whole product, that is kind of surprising. Yeah. Um, she also says that the estimate my predecessor used, which I believe her predecessor was Sam Tenenhouse, of how many books do you get a week, how many of those are you able to sign reviews? She says, our estimate is that we review about 1% of the books published in any given year. And that does not include self-published books or pub- books published exclusively in ebook form. Boy, that's not very much. That is not. That, I mean, so, you know, people say, um, actually, I have a related point about this to make it a minute, but <laughs> if you get a review in the Times, that's a big deal. It's a big deal to get reviewed in the Times. And, you know, some of the, you know, consternation we've seen from Jennifer Weiner about, um, does she use chiclet non-derisively? Has she co-opted chiclet? I I don't know. I don't know either. Commercial women's fiction, I guess, is the the real almost clinical way of putting it. She's been fighting for that for a while. Um, Genre, people have been carrying the Mm -hmm. banner for more genre in the New York Times book review. Vita has been carrying the banner for, you know, women, especially and now increasingly women of color and intersectional women's identities. Um, That it's just to get reviewed, not even a good review, just to get reviewed, to get in the game. And there's the sort of related piece about there, sometimes there are authors and books that get multiple reviews in the New York Times when, and when you're talking about less than 1% of all the books that are published in a year getting a spot, giving multiple spots to anybody, um, it, it seems a huge disservice to readers. I don't particularly care about I care about the equity of who's mm-hmm. covered. I don't really care about how authors feel about who gets covered unless they're talking about the actual equity right. of it. If it's just a like that's not fair cuz I want to be covered, like well too bad so does everyone and right. 99% of 99 people 99 out of you, 100 of you aren't going to get the the book reviewed. Um yeah, why not call it the trifecta deal. which happens a few times a year where you get multiple reviews and a profile, right? <laughs> So, you know, and I, I can sympathize with the New York Times book review because sometimes there are books that we want to give undue, undue uh, disproportional attention to, you know, it, it, for whatever reason it might be. We like it. Um, we certainly talk about our favorite authors and, you know, we don't think too much about equity among specific authors, but we do try to think about representation across identities and voices. Um, so that, that's, that's, the, that's the competitive nature. Like it's easier to get into Harvard to get your, than to get your book reviewed in the New York Times. So book much, review. probably like 15 times easier four or five at by least. the numbers. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I think like this is one of the really fascinating things about a the constraints of a print publication yeah. like we we do inevitably have books in any month or season that multiple contributors are loving or that everybody wants to talk about and occasionally Amanda will have to tell contributors like I just can't take any more pieces about how this author is amazing right now right yeah um but we have unlimited space because we can make as much internet as we we wish to mm-hmm. really um and the New York Times book review does not have the luxury of that. So when your space is really at a premium, that I imagine would be a tough part of Pamela Paul's job to decide like, well, this is the book that everyone is talking about right now. And so a review and a profile of the author would be an interesting use of our space. But in the big game also of like, does that serve readers more than doing 
two reviews of two different books or a mm-hmm. review of a book and a profile of a different author? I, I don't know. Like that's that's the job, and it's a tough question. It's a tough question. Um, so I thought that was particularly interesting. And a related point. Um, Curtis Sittenfeld, is that how you say mm-hmm. her name? She had a book reviewed in the Times this week, Privilege, uh, which is a contemporary telling of Pride and Prejudice, and she got a bad review in the Times. Um, but I, th- that's not the story. The story is her reaction to it, which I thought was great. And she said, basically, she said on Twitter, uh, I don't have the tweet here in front of me, but the, the, the essence of the tweet was, you know, if you get your book reviewed in the New York Times book review, a lot of things have broken right mm-hmm. in your life. Like it's yep. a privilege, uh, to to to, to to get just to get here, uh, yeah. which I thought was an extremely classy response that to is, it. That is extremely classy, and negative reviews aren't always a death knell anywhere for books and authors and many readers. Like this is a thing that we know. There have been studies. I think we've talked about them on the show. Of um, negative reviews help consumers also, and the thing that one writer doesn't like about a book might be exactly the thing that a reader comes across in a review and is like, "Oh well, I do like that thing. I'm going to go pick it up." But that's that's about the ideal response to. Yeah. A negative review is basically like, thank you for even letting me come into your party. Right. Yeah. I mean, because we are our general uh, advice, advice to authors has been say nothing, you know, treat it like Fight Club. Um, right. Say yeah, nothing I usually, about it. Right. I usually say say nothing or say thanks for taking time to read my book. Right. Yeah. Because I think it's it's a it's a minefield of even if you your intentions feel good, you're you seem if you feel even if you feel like you're like, yeah, I'm not going to be a jerk about this. Sometimes your bitterness and, you know, understandable hurt feelings manifest themselves in ways you don't necessarily understand or see when you're creating it. But this one, I thought, you know, if you're ever going to, if you are going to respond to negative review in any way, this is the way to do it. Um, And, you know, the data exists, but no one has, like, made it public. We know how many books or really how few books sell after a book wins a major award. We've seen those numbers. um, And it's usually surprisingly small. It's like a book wins the National Book Award and it sells an additional 15,000 copies, mm-hmm. like which is a nice bump, but it's also like not, that's not enough books to make you able to quit your day job permanently and just be a writer forever. Yeah. Um, it's not a sustainable number of book sales and that's from winning a major award. So there's also, I think, the conceit that getting one of these 1% spots makes a difference to the success of your book. Um, and I would guess getting a positive review in the New York Times makes a difference perhaps in like, do you get an agent or a book deal for your next book? Because um, you can right. show a positive review in the paper that the industry considers to be the paper your of record. Your profile is raised and so people are ready right. for the next but one. But in terms of like, am I going to be um, commercially successful or will more readers actually pick up my book because of one positive review, even in the paper that's considered to be you know, like the gold standard for what book reviews do, which is interesting because it's also the only remaining standalone, like the New York Times book review is the only remaining standalone book section in a newspaper. Um, yeah. That. Well, it, just it, as an example. It's kind like, of like, well, actually, it's not going to make that big of a difference for, to for your sales, and you don't, but, but you're going to feel you, you also don't have to sell that many. I'm looking at uh, Publishers Weekly every week does the top 25 hardcover fiction. Right. That the, they get the data from books and you only had to sell 1,854 copies in hardcover that Books Grand tracks last week to make the top 25. That's the number 25 mm-hmm. book right there. So the dip, what does success mean, I guess, is the other part of this. Is that success? Uh, 1,800 copies is 
nice for a week, but this also book has sold the grand total of 14,000 copies. If your advan- you know, if your royalty rate is 20%, you've made $28,000. Yeah, on that. it's relative success. Relative success. So, you know, the, the the ability for the New York Times to make a book, I think is not a thing much anymore. Um, I don't know if it actually ever was. Like, if you got a cover yeah, no, review, would it, were you basically guaranteed to make a book? I guess it depends on the advance, but, um, you maybe know. when, like, maybe back in the day when, <laughs> like, there when the only place to get opinions about which books were worth your time was newspapers. Yeah, but even then, Before I guess the there were more newspaper reviews. sections. Like, there was more right. sort of competition for newspaper. Uh, review attention. Anyway, so that the couple behind the scenes of what remains a super influential um, review outlet, um, the most influential, has been for a long time, remains so, in a way, even more influential and less influential now, ironically. Um, within yeah, its own it's, sphere, like, it's more influential, the, but within like, the wider landscape, it's less influential, I think. The like spectrum of perceived influence for it is a really fascinating yes. thing. For certain titles, like for literary nonfiction, it's huge. Um, for certain kinds of nonfiction, it's huge. Um, but for, you know, romance barely shows up there. So they sell a lot of titles. Young Adult sells a billion titles and it barely shows up there. So anyway, okay, where are we here? I've, I've lost. Uh, I've, okay. We, uh, Amanda and I mentioned um, last week the uh, phalanx of authors, 269 of them, signing basically an open letter to the LBGTQ. I, I don't know if it's just teenage population, but or the 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 whole population of large of North Carolina after House Bill Two passed. Mm-hmm. Um, Follow up there is that there's been some, you know, uh, the literary community is reacting in North Carolina um, in a variety of ways. Uh, the highest profile one is that Sherman Alexie has canceled um, his appearance at Malaprop's bookstore, um, which was going to be a big deal. They're going to sell three to five hundred copies, as they said. Um, and Malaprops is not happy about it. Um, n- not that they don't at least, I don't know, they're not happy about it. They, you know, they say, you know, what, don't punish us for the legislature, things back and forth. And it's, it's become a controversy, but it hasn't been vitriolic to this point. It might get there. And this is one where we were talking about it on the Slack back channel, in the staff, the BR Slack, the other, over the last few days. And it's a tri- this is a tricky one, man. It's a it very really difficult tricky. situation. Um, some people will say that, you know, Alexi and people sympathetic uh, or against, I guess it's against the legislation, their profile would be best used by showing up and making a case, talking, being supportive, being there, showing up for it. Some people, like Alexi himself, say, you know, I'm going to vote with my feet. Um, right. And this is one way of expressing displeasure and showing the consequence of of doing that. Um, I come down a little bit more on Alexi's side of it uh, than, than the show up. And I don't know why exactly. I guess I'm one of, I've, I've always sort of believed in the power of voting with your feet or your dollars. Um, and I do feel like to some degree showing up at Malaprops and talking to a group of 500 people is preaching to the converted a little bit. Um, so I don't know. You know, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Where, what do you think about this? I lean more on Alexi's side as well. I do see the point that authors who are not going to bookstores or musicians who aren't going to perform their concerts or whatever, like this is not just happening in bookstores, um, are ultimately depriving those communities of having 
experiences that they wanted to have. Um, and so it's basically the one of the one of the arguments against this decision is you're not actually doing anything for the legislation. You're just harming these communities that are already hurting because of bad legislation. Um, but I do, I've been, like we talked about it yesterday, I've been thinking about it a lot. I do think I come down more on Alexi's side as well. I can see the line, yeah. you know, the straight line from I'm not going to make an appearance at a business because the state legislature needs to see that they harm their state in a very real dollars and cents way yeah. um, with this legislation. And so the way that I can affect that is by affecting a business. And it does suck that the businesses will be affected. It's unfortunate and not fun for Malaprops that they're not going to sell those 300 or 500 copies of the book. Um, but I get Alexi's decision and I get Bruce Springsteen's decision mm -hmm. here um, to not perform in the state as well of not wanting to contribute to that state's economy um, in a very direct way um, by selling tickets or selling books or merchandise or or whatever. Um, and the piece that we've got a link for in the show notes um, is from the Chicago Review of Books, which um, is a, I think it's a blog that's an independent thing. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what um, the deal is there. But yeah, it's a good, and, interesting piece, I should yeah, say. Yeah, it's an interesting piece. And they're arguing that authors are making a huge mistake by boycotting North Carolina bookstores because they're hurting the bookstores. And that to me is... A, a gross, I'm going to steal the word that you used yesterday when we were talking about it. It's a really gross recentering of the argument that mm -hmm. should remain centered and focused on this legislation, um, making it anything about the bookstores or about how the bookstores are hurting is really not even secondary. It's so far down yeah, the right. list of like what happens to bookstores as a repercussion of House Bill 2 is so far down the list of consequences that we shouldn't be thinking about what's happening to the bookstores directly here. Like the real thing that I and I tweeted this yesterday is like what's happening in North Carolina is that trans people's lives and members of the LGBT community's lives are actively being put at risk right. by this law. And all of this conversation is like, well, people are at risk of being harmed and killed because that's what happens with hate crime. Mm -hmm. But like, let's worry about bookstores making money. Yeah, I'm um, not worried about that at all. I, I think and I think we're on the same page that we're sort of thinking like, strategically, what's the best use of that author's profile to show up or right. not show up? And uh, there's no data you can collect, right? I mean, that's that's right. the, the, the tricky part is there's no results you can sort of see. Like one example would be like, was it Georgia that was going to pass something similar, but Marvel and Disney and some other yes. huge corporations like, you know what, if you do that, we're going to pull Guardians of the Galaxy 2 production out, which is like a mm -hmm. $150 million production. So just so you know, and the the, the mayor, uh, the governor's like, you know what, veto. Um, right, and so and I, you know, it works. Same, it can work. Yeah, we're seeing the same things in North Carolina. PayPal is supposed to yeah. or was slated to open a facility, a big office, um, in North Carolina that would have brought a bunch of jobs there, and they are canceling that as a result. We're seeing other corporations make those decisions. And this is a smaller version. It's a one person business. An author is a one person business, yeah, basically, right. um, deciding not to do the thing. Um, our colleague Kelly Jensen has a piece on the site today. Um, that is the counter side that's arguing really for authors to continue visiting North Carolina, going into the schools, going into the libraries, talking to kids, using those opportunities. Um, and I have seen that some authors are canceling their, uh, for lack of a better word, commercial appearances, mm -hmm. but they're still doing their educational appearances, which seems an interesting and uh, to me, I think it's a useful 
distinction. Um, but then there are also, there's a whole host of other ways that you could thread the needle and our uh, other colleague, Jen Northington, who runs our events and is a long-term, very experienced uh, bookstore events director, said that what she would do here is still hold the event about Sherman Alexie. Mm. Um, have the people come, spend a little time talking about the book, but then use the event also as a platform for Malaprops to talk about um, House Bill 2 and their stance and what's going on in the community and to use it as a moment to you know push back about against the legislation in a real community grassroots way, um, which I thought is a really elegant, maybe you know the most elegant solution that I've heard to this, that like if you're a bookstore, how do you do this well without making it about you? Yeah. And, I, you know, again, I, I come down a little bit more on Alexi's side, but I can certainly, I, 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 I would certainly not critique anyone who decided to go a different direction, you know, because I think the intent, I think the thing that's important to remember for those of us who care so much like this is the particular strategy someone is using to fight this or displeasure, displeasure or, or um, dissent is less important that the dissent is getting um, expressed because right. the culprit of this is not, you know, an author or a bookstore saying something or doing something or not doing something. It's the legislation. And that's that's the source of all the weird positions people find themselves in, is it's not Bruce Springsteen's fault if someone's doing this right. It's that he is the legislation is causing him to feel uncomfortable and unhappy um, and putting people at risk. And they're reacting to that. And I think all these reactions are sort of valid. And it really just becomes to me sort of you know, what do I think would actually get quote unquote results and what those results might be would be getting the legislation repealed. Mm -hmm. And from my old days of teaching rhetoric, you, if you want to argue with someone and you have different values, don't argue the same value. Like clearly, are you going to turn a legislator around by saying, well, let, and Sherman Alexie showed up and he said the LBGTQ people are a-okay. Right. They're like, oh, okay, well, Sherman said it. Well, the, the value is different, but the value you might be able to argue on is a business case, right? You're hurting the state. Exactly. Um, you're heard it, you know, like what, what ears do they have to listen with? Um, mm -hmm. and my sense of it is that's, that's, those are the ears they have to listen. I think Kelly's right, point I... is also about to take care of the people that are there, right? Somehow to, like the people, LBGQ people and people who are aligned and allies, like help take care of the people as they deal with this, which I can certainly also understand. And that's, a, mm -hmm. you know, it's a very valid point. I don't think there's one particular action that's going to serve all of those particular use cases. So. Anyway, um, that's what's going on there. Follow. It will be interesting to see how that develops over time. Um, let's get out of here real quick. Uh, oh, I, you know, I, we talk about from time to time. We have a bunch of newsletters. We have two new news, email newsletters coming out. We've had we have a bunch already. We have one that's a riot rundown that we're using our own ad spot here today. That's the best of book riot. Comes three times a week. We, you know, we 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 include links to some of the most interesting and popular and thought provoking stuff we've done on the site. Um, we have one, Liberty Runs, basically a newsletter equivalent of the All the Books show called New Books, also with an exclamation point, um, which, she, you know, it's an email version, kind of the show. It's not as much talk, but it's like, here's a, she, she picks a few and then a yeah. list of other notables. Uh, we have a, a book deals newsletter. I pick one interesting book deal a day, usually ebook, but not always, usually $3.99 or below. Um, what else do we have? We have What's Up in YA, Kelly, who we were just talking about, right? Every two weeks does a roundup. It's so good. It's so interesting um, the, where she rounds up basically sort of a new what's going on in the world of YA, all in sort of a digest form. Um, the panels, our sister site that does comics and graphic novels, has its own newsletter that wraps up, you know, it comes out a couple times a week, what's going on over there. But also we, we're launching two news, new newsletters in May, um, which I think are particularly interesting to listeners of the shows for the following reason. One is I'm going to do a weekly... Basically, I'm copying what's up in YA, but just sort of the, for the general book world, sort of going one up 
sort of a meta level. So a lot of the links that we'll be talking about here will show up there, but also some nerdier stuff. And, you know, I have much more room to link to an image or some other things that don't work quite as well um, in audio form. That's starting up new. And also audiobooks. We're going to do a, a biweekly roundup of what's going on in the world of audiobooks. I'll have excerpts, mini recommendations, roundups, all sorts of stuff going on there. So if you're an audiobook fan, and I'm just presuming if you're listening to a podcast, you might be especially interested um, in an audiobook newsletter. And you, you can, an easy way to, you can check them all out. Um, but if you also, the, the best way to look at them all and see what they're doing is go to bookriot.com slash free start here. And we've been giving away a free version of our Start Here ebook, which is Read Your Way into 25 Amazing Authors, which we kickstarted and published a couple years ago. Um, if you sign up for one of those newsletters, you can get you can get that for free. We'll email it to you. You can download it there. But also that page has a nice description and a sign-up form. So it's an easy way. You can sign up for a newsletter if you're interested and also get the ebook as a little uh, as a little lagniop. You know that term lagniop? It's one I learned a couple years. It's 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 awesome. It's like an unexpected bonus, which is really it's a nice. Very, it's a very pleasant word Isn't to it? say too. Yeah. It's nice. It's very tasty. Um so anyway, <laughs> those are our tasty. newsletters and uh, I hope you'll check them out. I think if you listen to the show there will be one or more 10 of those that you'll find interesting. Yeah. And the for those of you who listen to all the books, the books that Liberty selects for the New Books Newsletter are different. So she reads oh, everything I should have she mentioned talks that. about. Excellent point. Yeah. She reads everything she talks about on our show, and then she reads everything that she talks about in the New Books Newsletter yeah. also. Right. Because she's a machine. She's a machine. Uh, before we run out, I want to give a quick shout to a thing I think is really cool. Sherlane McRae, who is the first lady of oh, New yeah, York yeah, City, yeah. is launching a Gracie Mansion book club. Gracie Mansion is the where the fancy mayor lives. Um, she says, New York City is defined by the many immigrant groups that have sought refuge here from across the globe, as well as the beautiful languages, values, and traditions that they have brought with them. We are proud to continue to use Gracie Mansion to shine new light on the often untold stories of our city's diverse communities with the Gracie Mansion Book Club. Um, so it's going to run through 2016 and 2017. Um, they're going to have three book club moderators, James Hanaham, whose book um, Delicious Foods is uh, it's yep. a novel. That's getting tons of great reviews. Jacqueline Woodson uh, from Brown Girl Dreaming. And, oh, no. Yes, yes. Yes. And many other amazing things. And A.M. Holmes, they're going to select six books to read and discuss with fellow New Yorkers over the next year. That seems a very reasonable very number reasonable. of books. Um, and the theme of this season's selections is Envisioning Distant Neighbors, which aims to open dialogue on the city's diversity and immigrant community. And the first selection is a book that I loved and that Book Riot overall loved yeah. called Bright Lines by Thanwi Nandini Islam. You did a live recording of the Reading Lines podcast with she her. She was great. Back in the fall, the book is great. She is awesome. Um, James Hanaham and First Lady Shirlene McRae are going to moderate the first Gracie Book Club discussion about Bright Lines at Gracie Mansion on May 17th at 6 p.m. Uh, the New York Public Library, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Public Library, and the Queens Systems will all be making extra copies of Bright Lines available um, in every library branch if you're in New York City and you want to participate. And there will be a link uh, in the show notes to where you can enter a ticket giveaway if you want to attend mm -hmm. the discussion. That's this is great. very cool. Love this it. whole thing is great. Everything about We're it. The judge selection that the first lady uh, is doing it. It's going to be in the mansion. Uh, the book it's selection. intentionally diverse. The theme. A plus. Gold stars. All the way around on this. Some of you who live in New York, please, please go. enter this ticket giveaway and go tell us about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I, this will maybe one of the more interesting reading lists when this is all put together that we'll have seen recently. 
Yes. Um, so, And one of the few, like, here's a new book series thing that we've heard about that I've been like, oh, I would go to Yeah, that. that's a very good point. That's a really good point. So um, check, check that out. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, you can find the link to the show notes for this and back episodes of the Book Riot Podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. You can navigate to this show and back episodes there. You've got a comment or question for us, you can email us at podcast at bookriot.com. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at the Jeff O'Neill, O-N-E-A-L. She's at the, at the not the Rebecca <laughs> just at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. That's our link. Thanks so much to Audible for sponsoring the show. That's audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot for your free trial. Also, you can check out bookriot.com slash free start here to take a look at our newsletters. And if you want to sign up for one right there, you can get in return for your uh, time and attention a free digital download. It can be Kindle or um, any other format. Just uh, you can pick from there. Um, you can find it there. So thanks so much for listening to the show. We'll be back next week. Yep. Have a good one.